Hey there, welcome to episode number 15. Today's title or topic is Top Trends in Employee Selection and Employee Retention. And I'm interviewing and talking with Tom Darrow. He is the owner of Talent Connections, located here in the Southeast, has a national perspective by his client involvement and his involvement in some national foundations that do research on employee trends. So we're lucky to have him with us today. He's going to point out different things. But first, we're going to get some insights into him as a person, which I think you'll find interesting. He has an interesting background. He has had interesting people influence him, and he shares some insight into the books and programs that have helped him throughout his career and in his business. He's going to talk about two trends in employee selection and talent acquisition that you're going to want to know about. They're national and they're happening right now. And he gives three concrete actions that you're going to begin wanting to take today if you're not already doing them. He's going to talk a little bit about the Chinese fire drill, this pent-up desire about how people are kicking the tires to see what's out there and how important your focus is on to should be on as a business owner and a leader on re-engagement and what you're going to need to be doing about that right now. Tom has a rich background. He is a go-giver type of person, and I'm glad to have him on the podcast, and I know you're going to get something out of today's episode. So I'm glad you're here. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi, my name is Susie Price, and I am the host for this show and the creator of Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I have been, this is the 15th episode of this podcast. Yay, hallelujah, we're working through creation and having fun along the way. I'm also the founder of my business, Priceless Professional Development. I'm a professional facilitator, consultant, a coach, an author, and I focus on helping people and businesses build the commitment, energy, and communication in the organization. So we want to create Wake a Bigger Workforce, which is people who are committed and who are engaged and who are giving their best and, and, and in helping leaders figure out how to be their best and how to bring out the best in others. So uh, very varying topics on this podcast, and I'm excited about today's topic, which is top trends in employee selection and employee retention, and I'm excited about who I'm interviewing, Tom Darrow. So if you would like to look at the show notes to get an overview, what I do with the show notes is I um, segment, time segment them so you can go to certain parts of the podcast and you can see, you know, that's at 12 minutes, that's at 15 minutes, so on. So you can find that there, the show notes, and links are on the show notes and the, just any extra information there is at pricelessprofessional.com slash Tom Darrow, T-O-M-D-A-R-R-O. And on the show notes page, you can subscribe to this podcast. And I have something new that I'm excited about, and that is a free iPhone and iPad app. So basically, if you go to the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com slash Tom Darrow, look for the little orange is at the top of the page. It's a little orange image, and it says download um, the at the app store now. 
you'll have that on your phone or your iPad. You click on it anytime you have some free time or if you're in your car or going for a walk, if you have your iPhone, you can listen to these episodes. You don't have to do anything extra. Just click the app and they'll show up when we have new episodes coming. So just wanted you to know about that. I'm excited about the new iPhone and iPad. Yay. So let's get into Tom's background. He has a rich background, and I'm going to go into it quite a bit so you can just understand who it is that is sharing this information. He's pretty low-key, pretty modest, and so I just want to make sure you get how involved he is in the community and what a broad and effective perspective. He's also a great role model based on his background, so I'm just going to share all that with you now. So Tom Darrow, he has over 20 years of experience in human resources and recruiting. Um, he had, and that includes nine years with global professional services firms like Price Waterhouse, which is now Price Waterhouse Coopers, Cooper and uh, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. He is the founder and principal of Talent Connections. So that's been since 1999. It's an Atlanta-based professional services firm, and they specialize in recruiting, recruiting process outsourcing, executive search, HR consulting, contract recruiting. And that company, his company, was named in 2007 and in 2008 to the Inc. 500 list of America's fastest-growing private companies, they realized 1,700% revenue growth. So strong business leader, strong business owner, knows the world of recruiting and of uh, talent acquisition. In 2009, he teamed with a nationally recognized career transition expert group called Career Spa. And so he's added that to his business, and it's a career transition company. They revolutionize, they're revolutionizing the way unemployed and misemployed workers are equipped to assess and proactively manage their career transitions. So often people do need support. I mean, almost every time people need support when they're going through change. And I've met some of the folks at Career Spa. There, many are retired human resource folks, lots of experience, tri- retired business owners. So you, there's some great connections there at Career Spa. Now, when I was talking about his example, he's very active in the business community and just in the community at large. He, he's been the president of Sherm Atlanta, the Society of Human Resource Management. They have the largest chapter in the country out of 577 chapters. And that's the year I met him, 2006, 2007, somewhere around that time frame. And when I had nothing to give him, I'm networking with him and he was completely helpful and service oriented to me, uh, me as a new business owner. It was it meant a lot to me at the time and still does. Um, under his leadership, the year he was president of SHRM, he increased, or him and his team, increased membership by 60%, which is awesome. They have 2,600 members, which is amazing. That's a big association. If you're ever part of any association, have 2,600 members at that time is uh, interesting. He was just awarded the HR Leader of the Year Award from SHRM. And he serves now, this is where, where he can give us some great information, and he does during the interview, he serves on and has been asked to serve on the National um, SHRM Foundation Board. So this is a board that has focused for the past 40 years on figuring out what the workforce trends are and then communicating them back to their members in the SHRM organization. So he's right there. He's right with the people who are doing the research and looking at national trends, and he brings that to us from uh, he brings that to us today. He's also been involved in the Technology Association of Georgia and their recruiting society and, and worked on their uh, executive committee and set up the, the, the recruiting society at TAG. He's been quoted in publications like Business Week, 
uh, Inc., the Atlanta Journal, Atlanta Business Chronicle, Washington Post, HR Magazine. He's been interviewed on National Public Radio and on Channel 11. Not only has he been that active, think about how busy all of that is, he's also really active in community service, which I read this and I thought, you know, I've had some people ask me to serve on a couple of boards and I am on a few and somebody just asked me to serve on another board with a more active role and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to do this because of time and uh, but then I look at this list of all the things that Tom's doing. It's like, wow, making a difference. So it kind of inspired me. So anyway, he serves on the board of the advisors for the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. He's very active in the big brothers and big sisters of Metro Atlanta. He um, has been on the board of directors for the Partnership Against Domestic Violence. He has hosted on the host committee member of the High Tech Ministries. He founded and leads the Atlanta HR Prayer Breakfast. And he is also a leader and speaker in the Crossroads Career Network Career Ministry. And that's a very strong ministry here in Georgia for folks who are going through career transition. So he's been active in that since 1997. Now, he lives in Murphy, North Carolina, up in the mountains. He talks a little bit about his mountain place, and you'll find that a little bit interesting during our interview. And he also lives in Smyrna, Georgia. He has a wife, Anne, and they have three dogs and a parrot. So that's interesting. He has a parrot wonder how much he talks. So he loves Notre Dame football. He likes going to the Fox Theater. He likes Christian music. He has a, a lot of interests. And one thing I thought was interesting that I didn't know about is he did a stand-up comedy routine debut at the Punchline in 2004. So that's interesting. So he is just a well-rounded, interesting person. And let's just get into the interview now. I know you're going to enjoy it. being here today. It's my pleasure. Good to be here. Glad you're here, and we're going to kick it off with some fun questions, just so we can get to know you a little bit outside of your uh, wonderful background, and uh, want to start with just something that's so important, and that is, what's your favorite Guilty Pleasure TV show? <laughs> well, probably anything college football related, uh, anything on ESPN. Uh, you know, people always ask what your Myers-Briggs uh, profile is. Well, I always say it's ESPN is mine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, love, uh, I love college football. So uh, it actually starts today. So I'm, I'm very happy. Oh, you're happy. And it looks like it says you – now, Green Bay Packers, that's a – you can tell I'm not a football person. Green Bay Packers, that's not college football. That's That's, that's uh, not college. That's NFL, but I enjoy that too. My, my entire family is from Green Bay, so grew up uh, – very big Green Bay Packer fans, and my parents happen to have six season tickets. Uh, and someday I'll uh, I'll get two of them. So uh, oh, big, fan. big family uh, football started earlier in your life. It sounds like, and it continues. What college football team do you root for? Well, my father went to school at Notre Dame, and I did, and my sister did. So we're big uh, Fighting Irish fans. Ah, Fighting Irish. So you don't do any of the local Georgia colleges that you root for, huh? Oh, yeah, I root for them, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> about sports is you can have your main team, but then you can uh, pull for other teams. And uh, I think a lot of times when you watch games, you end up picking a team, even if it's not your team. You, you pick a team, uh, oftentimes the underdog, and you, uh, you cheer for them anyway. Right. That's good. So what big game are you watching this weekend? It's Labor Day weekend, 2015. Are yeah, there, there big are games weekends, this weekend? So. 
there are uh, Notre Dame plays Texas, which uh, uh-huh. which will be a great game. So uh, that's on uh, Saturday evening. But uh, a okay. lot of uh, football to come. Okay, who's going to win uh, between Notre Dame and Texas? Well, I, of course, I'm cheering for Notre Dame to win. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. As they say, that's why they play the games because you never really know. They're they're always you never know. It's, <laughs> it, uh, Is it's this fun Notre to Dame favorite? Yeah, Notre Dame's favorite by nine and a half. Uh, okay. All right. So we can go back and look and see if that happened. <laughs> I hope it does for you right. anyway. So our other fun question is a question about your favorite possession. What is it? and Why is it your favorite? Well, you know, the thing that comes to mind is our house. We, uh, we are blessed to live on weekends uh, two hours north of Atlanta in the mountains of western North Carolina. And the reason the house is so special is, number one, it sits on a perch uh, with an incredible view of the mountains. And secondly, because I actually uh, designed the house and I had it built uh, about 18 years ago. I was uh, single and uh, about 32 years old and just felt led to, uh, instead of having a house in Atlanta, I had a little condo in Atlanta and just felt led to buy some property and design a house and have it built up in the mountains. So it's been uh, very special uh, getaway for about 18 years now, and we, uh, we're very blessed to be up there on the weekend. Oh, nice. And so that is uh, North Georgia or Blue Ridge? or Yeah, it's technically in Murphy, North Carolina. We are one block into North Carolina. So, uh, oh, okay. So it's only two hours from Atlanta, so it's really not a big deal. Um, you know, just schedule some calls on the way up or the way back, and uh, my wife, Ann, works every other week. Uh, she's a nurse at Scottish Rite, so the week that she's off, she's up in Murphy working in her garden and doing things, And uh, but I'm you know, pretty much in Atlanta every week uh, and then uh, head up there on the weekends. Nice. Yeah, the North Georgia Mountains are so wonderful. Uh, if For those of us who live in the Atlanta area, it's so easy to get up that way, you know, so it's just, it feels a million miles away, only, even if it's only a couple hours away. And it's neat that you designed the house. I think I've seen a picture of it. You must have it on your LinkedIn profile or something. Yeah, I used to rent it, so I used to, you know, kind of get the word out a little bit about it, but we don't rent it anymore. Um, but, yeah, it was about 19 years ago that I, bought a $50 software package called uh, 3D Home Architect, and I really didn't know much of anything about designing a house, but I kind of knew some things I wanted and uh, spent hours and hours and hours uh, playing around with the uh, software and and then uh, one day printed it out and took it to a builder, and uh, it was a whole lot of fun to see it come to life. Wow. That's pretty neat that you didn't even have a background in architecture, um, but you were able to create it. That's cool. Yeah, well, it's, that's it's cool. Blessing. It's interesting. My uh, father-in-law is actually an architect. In fact, he's a Cornell uh, architect, which is about the top architecture school in the country. And so every time he comes over, uh, you know, I always feel like I have to explain why I design, you know, a certain thing this way or a certain thing that way. And uh, yeah. I'm sure he would have yeah. other ideas, but <laughs> but it it, uh, it it's definitely uh, definitely my one and only uh, masterpiece. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Very cool. Very nice. Sounds like you did a great job. And if I remember from the picture, I can. There's a big deck or something, and there's a lot of people on yeah. the picture, and it That's kind of right. points out. It looks like it does point out on the peak, if I remember right. I think it's on your LinkedIn page. Uh, there's yeah, a photo maybe, or something. Uh, yeah, we've got a we've because got a we website too. Uh, yeah, the website is mountainmajesty.com, and uh, 
the uh, the front of the house is called a prow design, where the front walls, uh, front two walls, come to a point, almost like the top of a triangle. And so the great room, uh, you know, has uh, two big walls. The ceiling's about 32 feet high, and uh, just huge uh, panes of glass. So anywhere you are in the house, you just look out, and you feel like you're an eagle uh, flying through the mountains. Ah, awesome. So, yeah, I'll put the put that link in the show notes so if anybody wants to see it and get their own inspiration for their mountain house, they can see it. <laughs> and they can see it and they can come visit. They can go visit. Call it first, yeah. though, right? <laughs> okay, so now we're going to go into some discussions about you as a leader and a business owner. You've had your business for many, many years, uh, since 1999, um, and you're, you're – businesses continue to grow and expand. So I think it would be really interesting for all the leaders out there and all of the business owners out there to hear from your perspective around uh, some different areas. And we'll start with your most challenging moment as a leader and business owner and go from there to your most most rewarding moment as a leader and business owner. So tell us a little bit about those two areas. Well, you know, I think for many of us, the most challenging area and the, certainly the ones that come to mind for me are, are people related, right? Especially when you hire someone and obviously everyone uh, hopes for the best and, and then it doesn't work out. And, and that's always uh, frustrating. It's, uh, you know, to some degree sad. And, but, you know, it, it's not always meant to be. And uh, hiring is not a perfect science. And, uh, you know, even those of us who are sort of experts in hiring, we, we still make mistakes. And so I think that you know, those are the situations that are most uh, challenging is when you, you make a decision to hire someone and then, uh, you know, it doesn't come together as you, you would think and hope it would. Yeah. And, uh, and then probably on the other side, uh, you know, most uh, uh, exciting uh, uh, memory uh, is probably uh, Tila Jackson, who is our uh, recruiting leader with Talent Connections. Uh, you know, Tila is a great example of someone who really would, would admit that she really wasn't a leader through the years, but she decided she wanted to become a leader. So she sought out uh, mentors and coaches and she, you know, kind of inch by inch put herself in leadership uh, type positions and then uh, uh, worked her way up to where last year she served as president of uh, Sherm Atlanta, the local HR chapter. And she was the uh, uh, the first African-American female president of Sherm Atlanta in, in about 48 years of the chapter being around, and she, I think, was the second youngest uh, president uh, that the chapter has ever had. So, uh, so you know, certainly proud of uh, Tila and her uh, development and, and her uh, kind of coming up to the leadership ranks. And how long has she worked in, at uh, Talent Connections? Well, actually, next uh, month uh, in October, we'll, uh, she'll celebrate her 10-year anniversary with us. Wow. So you've been a big part of, I know you're very humble and you're not going to take credit, but uh, I'm assuming you were a big part of the mentorship. Oh, I was a big part. I will take credit. Uh, she uh, watched all the things I did terribly and I uh, did the exact opposite. Yeah. So now her role at Talent Connections now is, you, did you, what was her title? Recruiting leader? Yeah, we, uh, her official title is Vice President of Talent Delivery. So she does a okay. lot of the search work for us, uh, placing HR leaders uh, in executive search uh, uh, situations, and then also placing a lot of contract uh, recruiters and contract HR professionals. Hmm. 
so the, the her it sounds like based on what that uh quick description of things she had the desire didn't necessarily have the background to be a leader at the at the time that she had the desire but she had the desire she had the mentoring and it's it's those two pieces maybe were the key pieces that uh helped her move forward to become the first African American female for society human resource management in Atlanta you think uh yeah. it was her yeah. desire and the mentoring well, I think it starts with a desire you know you can't you can't be a leader unless you want to step into that type of role uh, you know, that people always question, are leaders uh, born or are they made? Well, yeah, I think it's some of each. Uh, certainly somebody has to be born with some competencies uh, for, for leadership, but then those competencies have to be fed and, and developed. And, uh, you know, so I think Tila is an example of somebody who, uh, you know, for probably the first 30 or so uh, years in her life, she she probably was a, a leader, you know, in certain situations, but certainly not to the level that uh, – you know, she stepped up into last year, uh, you know, leading an organization uh, as a volunteer that has about 200 volunteers. It's about a million-dollar uh, operation, and you know, especially as a volunteer, it's a pretty big role. It's almost like uh, running a company for uh, for a one-year period. Yeah! Wow. How did it go? It's challenging to be a volunteer leader and a volunteer president. And I think that when I met you, you were going into that role, and that was many years ago, 10, 10 or more years ago. Uh, I met you right as you were becoming the president of the Atlanta Sherman Organization, I think. Um, so did you, how did her year go? Yeah, it went real well. It went real well. She uh, brought a lot of energy, a lot of new ideas to the chapter, and uh in fact, Sherman Atlanta this year is celebrating its 50th anniversary, uh, a big uh, gala coming up October 17th to celebrate that. And the, the chapter is wow. now, uh, I think Sherman has about 600 chapters, and Sherman Atlanta is actually the largest city chapter of all of them. Yeah, wow. Well, congratulations to Tila, and it's neat that that's your, yeah. your, one of your most rewarding moments as a leader. And it is all about being able to affect, impact, grow, encourage, inspire others, and that's something you're most proud of. That's neat. It's been a blessing to have uh, people like you on the team. Yeah, neat. So one thing most people do not know about you, so you're very visible. You're in front of people all the time. It it would seem in your business and all your employees and all the leadership positions you've held. Is there anything that people most people don't know about you? Boy, a lot of things come to mind. Um, one is that, uh, <laughs> Which one do you want to share? Yeah, well, kind of a fun, fun one or funny one, if you will. Um, I actually had a bowling scholarship to college, so I grew up oh. uh, was uh, big into golf and bowling. I guess in Wisconsin, you uh, have a clear summer and then you have a clear winter. Well, in the summer you golf, and in the winter you uh, bowl. And uh, so I actually had a bowling scholarship to college. How about that? Did you bowl all the way through college? No, actually, what's uh, also interesting is that uh, the scholarship was not from the school. Um, Notre Dame didn't have a bowling team, um, so I didn't get the scholarship from the school. It was from the Young American Bowling Association, and it was, uh, huh. you know, not a big scholarship. It wasn't It wasn't a full ride, but uh, but very few people had. In fact, I've never met anyone that said that they had a bowling scholarship to college, so it's pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. Do you still bowl now? You know, not too often. I, I was in a bowling league about uh, eight years ago when I was a big brother with Big Brothers Big Sisters. We 
my uh, quote-unquote little was about, uh, I guess he was about 11 or 12 years old at the time, and there was a, an adult child bowling league, so we got in that and had a lot of fun. Oh, neat. Good memories, huh? Absolutely. So tell us about your journey as a leader and business owner. How did you, you know, what's your story? What happened that uh, in your life, we all have some background that informed our present. Uh, what's your story? Well, um, you know, I guess for me, it, it certainly is about other people and people that I've had as uh, um, both the family and mentors through the years. Uh, I had a father who's a, a great leader, a grandfather who my grandfather owned a drugstore in Green Bay, Wisconsin for 50 years. And uh, so he was an entrepreneur, uh, you know, starting from the, uh, the late 1930s. Uh, uh-huh. You know, back then the, the drugstore was sort of like Starbucks of today. It was the place you went, not just for drugs, but but uh, they had an old-fashioned soda fountain. You know, you would go in there for for community, for social, and uh, and so everybody in Green Bay knew my grandfather, and and he was uh, you know supportive of a lot of the the Lily teams and other things in town. And uh, so you know, I think through the years uh, growing up, uh, seeing uh, you know leaders do it right, uh, you know, not only lead people and lead organizations, but give back to the community, and and so I think that uh, kind of laid a foundation for me and. And then uh, I'd have to say going to college, uh, you know, even though I got an accounting degree at Notre Dame, I, I always feel and say that uh, uh, probably the last thing I learned at Notre Dame was accounting. Uh, I think what I learned <laughs> was leadership, ethics, and family, and faith, and perseverance, and, you know, a lot of things uh, that kind of help uh, somebody, you know, uh, strive and, and uh, advance to a leadership role. So, uh, so I've just been very fortunate through the years to have people and and opportunities in life to, to lead. And, uh, you know, I guess I feel like if I'm going to get involved in something, I want to have an impact. And, and usually uh, you can impact something uh, at the greatest level by, by leading. So uh, that's usually what I like to do. I like your comparison of your uh, grandfather's uh, drugstore as like Starbucks. You think about that. That makes so much sense. That's where everybody went. And when you look at your background, it's almost like you've created your own community with your business and the reach out. And I can remember, I'll never forget the first time I met you, how you were very quick. I was very new in my business and didn't really know what I was doing. And you were very quick to offer help. Yeah, very quick to say, who can I introduce you to? And it's that, that giving community-mindedness community that seems to always stand out when I think of you. And I've, I've heard other people say that about you. And it started way back when, when uh, Granddad was being the community leader in his drugstore, it seems. Perfect. That's right. Uh, no, it's, you know, uh, good goes around, as Delta used to say. And, and uh, you know, it's always a joy to see other people uh, flourish and, and advance and enjoy life and, you know, to feel like you maybe had a small hand in, in some of that is uh, a great joy. And I think the the businesses that we have now and Talent Connections and Career Spa are kind of uniquely uh, positioned to have a platform to really help a lot of people. And I always say that, uh, you know, I went out on my own 17 years ago. It wasn't really driven by financial uh, opportunity or or, uh, you know, anything uh, like that. It was really driven by just uh, wanting more of an opportunity to help more people. And uh, mm-hmm. fortunately, we've really been able to do that, but we're not done yet. We have a long way to go. 
Yeah, great. Could see that. So now when you think about, uh, you, you may have already shared who's had the greatest influence in your career, um, but if there's anyone else that you want to uh, inf- share on the greatest influence and maybe some particulars around how this person influenced you, what did they say, what did they do that mattered most to you? Well, I mean, one person that immediately comes to mind is my first boss in HR. Um, I had started my career in Atlanta working as an auditor at Pricewaterhouse uh, in late 1987. And about a year, year and a half in, I really wasn't enjoying auditing and, and really didn't think that was going to be a long-term home for me. And what I loved to do was when Pricewaterhouse would go back out to the college campuses to recruit the next uh, crop of auditors, they would ask for volunteers to come along. And I thought, wow, that sounds like fun. So I, so I went along a lot to college campuses. Well, about a year into my career, the recruiter for Pricewaterhouse uh, resigned and left the firm and they needed some help. Uh, so they actually came to me and asked if I would do a three-month tour of duty in recruiting. And I said, wow, I'd love to do that. And uh, so I did that and I was reporting to uh, Jim Hartsick, who was the head of HR for Pricewaterhouse here in Atlanta. And and at the end of the three months, they said, okay, it's time for you to go back into audit. We're not going to hire a full-time recruiter. And I said, wait a minute, that's my job. <laughs> and so I got, yeah. to, got to stay uh, reporting to Jim. So Jim uh, has been a great mentor and leader through the years. He actually now runs our Aiken, South Carolina office. So we're, we're back working together. And, uh, and Jim has just been, uh, you know, just kind of the way he uh, works with people, leads people. Uh, and I think what's even more important for me is, is that Jim's not just all about work. You know, he's a great uh, husband, great father to his kids, and, and then even the people that uh, work for him, you almost feel like you're more part of Jim's family than you feel like he's your boss. And uh, so Jim has been a great uh, role model for me. It's funny how your career can find you uh, in that, you know, you started in auditing and then you just happen to be in recruiting, and now that's, you know, your business all these years later. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of what drives me on the career coaching side uh, through career spa is that I had a career train wreck about six months in, and <laughs> I enjoy helping people uh, avoid the career train wreck. And uh, so, you know, we really try to teach people not just how to get a job, but really how to manage your career. And, you yeah. know, what does that look like? Uh, you know, I think years ago, uh, people turned to their employer to manage their career, and people often stayed at their employer for 40 years and they got the watch and they got the pension and, and they went off into the sunset. Well, as we all know, those days are over. So we, we no longer can look to our employer for career management, if you will. Uh, you know, career management is on us. So, uh, so I, I think I learned that early on and, uh, and certainly apply it to today. Mm, great. So when you think about, you had your education with Notre Dame and, um, in addition to that, have there been particular programs, uh, certifications, books, training programs that have particularly helped you along the way in regard to your development as a leader, your development as a business owner? Anything you'd recommend or talk about? Well, a lot of different things come to mind. Um, there's one book that I read uh, probably 17 years ago when I started the business. Uh, it's called Business by the Book. And it was written by uh, Leo uh, Burkett, who founded uh, Christian Financial Concepts, which is now uh, Crown Financial Ministries. And uh, and so it's called Business by the Book. And the book is the Bible. 
And it was just a phenomenal book that really gives insight in terms of, okay, you know, God has given me this platform to have a business or businesses. Uh, you know, so how do I need to run it in line with uh, kind of teachings in the Bible? And uh, I'm certainly no biblical expert, <laughs> but I do uh, believe that uh, it's, uh, the Bible has uh, great uh, content, great roadmap to uh, how we should live, live life to glorify God. And uh, and so uh, things that we've been uh, entrusted with, like a business, uh, you know, it's it, that book gave me great insight in terms of, you know, what that really looks like. I will put a link to that book in the show notes so people can look at it. Business by the Book by Leo Burkett. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, great. Anything else? In terms of another book? Book or training program or maybe some process that you went through. Well, one thing, not, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, one thing I went through, uh, uh, boy, I guess I started in 2008, and it's been about a six-year run, is a meeting every month. Uh, a group of about 10 of us meet, and they're, all of us are, are Christian business leaders, and we meet from 7.30 to 1.30, the second Wednesday of the month. So it's a big time commitment, but we need to really help each other to uh, advance our businesses and or advance as, as Christian business leaders. And, you know, what does that mean? What does that look like? Again, we're not all, in fact, none of us are biblical, uh, you know, scholars or experts, but we, we want to, you know, try to learn and grow and, and see how, uh, you know, we should uh, leverage the platforms that have been given to to kind of serve God by serving others. And, and uh, you know, none of us are, uh, you know, kind of aggressive in the marketplace about our faith, uh, but, but we, you know, it is a huge... Uh, part of who we are and how we uh, act and behave. And we're not perfect, but, you know, together we've been able to help each other, uh, you know, see what uh, what it looks like to uh, to be the best uh, uh, business leader we can be and, and uh, hopefully uh, impact a lot of people that way. Mm. So having that support group and especially the fact that if you all have been together that many years, you really do understand each other as people, in your faith, in your business... Um, seems like that would really be powerful and helpful when you need support or somebody else you want to give support. That's interesting. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's my uh, favorite day of the month, and uh, in fact, next Wednesday is our next meeting, and I can't wait. <laughs> That's great. Now, is that anything where they have multiple groups, or is it something that you, uh, a group of 10 of you, just put that together yourselves? Is it something that if somebody else heard about that, they were interested, they could follow up with somebody around that or no? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's actually a third company that I started. It's called the Leadership Council, uh, Council as in C-O-U-N-S-E-L, and it's based on a couple of verses in Proverbs that basically say that a fool takes their own advice, but a wise person seeks the counsel of many. And uh, so we have one group that is going on right now, but we're looking to add groups uh, as time goes by. So uh Certainly, uh, anyone can reach out to me if they're interested in that uh, model and, and that content. Okay, great. That's interesting. So the Leadership Council, and the quote is, a fool takes his own advice, the wise takes the counsel of many. Yes. Awesome. So I'll put the, uh, the link of 
your contact information, of course, will be in the show notes. And uh, if, they, if anybody's interested in that, it sounds uh, awesome. It's so challenging for the individual business owner to find like-minded people. Uh, it can feel challenging anyway. Like-minded people who will invest in invest the time to be there for each other. Um, so I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Great. Okay. Anything else around development tools or processes or anything that you think, wow, this really had a big impact? And we've, you shared two awesome things in the book and the council, uh, and it's okay if there's not anything else. But if there is, what would it be? Well, you know, I think the key is for each person to understand where their strengths are and their weaknesses. And, you know, it reminds me of the Strengths Finder uh, 2.0 book that came out uh, a couple years back, and you go through the online assessment, and it tells you what your top five strengths are, but then they also are very quick to tell you that all your top five strengths are also your watch-out areas. And, uh, you know, I think uh, people are well-served to, you know, really get to know themselves and what are their strengths and, and watch-out areas, and then, you know, supplement that with training and books and webinars and a lot of things that can help them uh, enhance their strengths, but maybe, uh, uh, you know, bump up a little bit their weaknesses. Uh, I think the key is, uh, you know, none of us have strengths in every area, and so I think the key is to work in the area of your strength. You know, it's like a sports team. Uh, you know, if you take uh, uh, the Green Bay Packers football team, well, they have a quarterback, uh, Aaron Rodgers, who won the NFL MVP award last year, and he's just an amazing quarterback. Well, you know, if the Packers went to him this year and said, hey, Aaron, we're, we're going to have some fun this year. We're going to shake it up a little bit. We're going to make you the punter. Uh, well, that wouldn't work, right? That wouldn't work for him. It wouldn't work for the Packers. It would be, you know, kind of a dumb idea because uh, his area of strength is in the quarterback role. And so I think, uh, you know, for all of us, uh, we, we need to know what our strengths are and then position ourselves in a, in a, in a role, in a company, in an industry, in a culture, uh, in a team, uh, you know, so we can maximize our strengths uh, and, I think uh, people really need to do a lot of in- introspective uh, analysis to really understand where your strengths are and then how do you position yourself to make sure you're operating in your strengths uh, as often as possible. Yeah, and it's so awesome to know what your strengths are. It is, it's, if you uh, talk about your face, it's, it's, to, I always feel like they're, they're, their strengths, their talents, their things that were put into you. You came with these gifts to give to the world. And if you are able to name them and claim them and live them, then you're, you're, you're on purpose. You feel on purpose. And that is a whole different life than I'm doing kind of what everybody else tells me I should do. You know, the energy of that and the ability to positively impact others when you do what you're naturally good at is amazing. And then the other piece of that is once you understand your strengths fully, it's so much easier to look at people who are very different from you and go, oh, their strengths are different. They're not wrong. You know, it's one thing to think that, but it's actually to live that and feel that changes everything in work as a leader, as a business owner. Um, I think that that point about knowing your strengths is – is it's sad that so many people don't know their strengths, um, but it's so empowering when they have when they take the time and, and invest in them. Uh, the difference it makes is phenomenal. Yes, well, absolutely. And you know, we 
as you teach people how to craft their one-sentence life purpose statement. And, mm-hmm. you know, then after that, the challenge is, okay, how does your career support that instead of the other way around? You know, I think with too many of us, uh, it's all about our career, and our career kind of drives our life, which, uh, you know, really should be our life purpose, our life calling should be first and foremost. And then how does our career, you know, amplify that? And, you know, my wife, I mentioned earlier, uh, she's a pediatric nurse and has been for 25 some years. And uh, she's incredibly gifted at, at being a nurse. And, and you know, to deal with those kids is a, is a gift and, uh, and, a, and a responsibility. And, you know, I went to her a couple of years ago and I said, well, gee, would you ever want to be the nurse supervisor? You know, thinking that the nurse supervisor probably makes more money, probably works less, <laughs> And, uh, you know, a little bit easier job maybe. And, you know, she said, no. She said, you know, I really feel called to touch those kids. And one thing that Mm -hmm. their supervisor doesn't do directly is touch the kids. And so Mm -hmm. why would I or anyone ask my wife to uh, do something just for more money or for an easier job when she's clearly called and gifted to uh, to be a hands-on nurse? So uh, she's a real good example of that. Mm, That's a great example. Yeah, that's great. I'll have a link to the Strength Finders book in the show notes as well if, if people are listening and not familiar with that. Um, let's go now to appreciate the books that you've shared and all the information you've shared. You have We have a great opportunity here with you on the call today to talk about um, trends that you're seeing. So not only are you a very successful business owner, as mentioned earlier when I talked about your background, you're a board member of the National SHRM Society of Human Resource Management Foundation. So you are you are meeting with leaders from around the country and you're seeing what the top trends are. And in fact, you go uh, out and speak about this in uh, lovely uh, locations. I think one time I emailed you and you were in somewhere like, where was it? Some tropical place. Uh, probably uh, Bonaire. <laughs> where, where was it? Bonaire. Bonaire. Okay. So where is that? Bonaire is down in the Caribbean. Uh, they call them the ABC Islands. It's Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Oh, Okay. I've heard of Aruba and Curacao, but I've been to Aruba. But anyway, you were in a very lovely locale doing your SHRM board member thing, talking about trends and things that are going on. So you are really uh, in the know. And what I'd like you to do is first talk about the top trends in talent acquisition. You know, what are they? in the employee selection place, what's happening right now, what should leaders and business owners be worried about, and what action should they begin taking so that they can stay in front of these trends? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I probably have about a 10-hour answer, but let me uh, keep there <laughs> a couple minutes. Um, yeah, so when you think about talent acquisition and where we are in you know late 2015, uh, you know certainly the first thing that comes to mind is, is volume. Uh, you know, we've always had a volume issue in recruiting or in hiring, but it used to be not enough. We couldn't find enough good candidates. And so we had to try to get the word out, you know, high and low and far and wide. And hopefully somewhere in there when we cast our net, hopefully we'd, uh, you know, find the right candidate and, and hire someone. Well, now it's interesting because of the Internet and social media and you know, the ease of kind of getting the word out. Uh, we, we still have a volume issue, but now the issue is too many. And, you know, a lot of times when companies, uh, hiring managers, recruiters uh, get the word out about an opening, I mean, they're just inundated with resumes, with phone calls, with emails. And, 
And so it's really been an interesting dynamic. And so now the question is, how do you manage the volume? And certainly that's where technology comes into play. But uh, more and more, you know, as the position comes open, uh, companies aren't telling the world that, hey, we've got an opening. We're looking to hire somebody here in, uh, you know, in HR and marketing. Instead, what they're doing is they're saying, who do we know? You know, and, and they're going to their employees and they're saying, hey, who do you know? And so the employee referral programs are still alive and well. I mean, that's clearly the best way to hire people. If your employee knows someone, ideally, you know, used to work with them, can vouch for their their performance. Uh, now, just because they work with them in a previous uh, situation doesn't mean that they're, you know, automatically uh, perfect for this job or for this company. But certainly it goes a long way to knowing, uh, you know, what the person has done in the past and, and some predictor in terms of what they could do in the future. Um, so volume is the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, how do we how do we manage the volume? Um, you know, I think another key thing is that uh, companies more and more with technology, with outsourcing, uh, it's almost as if recruiting to some degree is being turned more and more into a transaction. Uh, well, the challenge with that is that, you know, we're not dealing with widgets here. We're dealing with people. You know, people go to work for people. And so there's always kind of a, a healthy tension in the talent acquisition process of trying to optimize process and technology to make hiring somewhat of a transaction, but really at the end of the day, it's got to be about the relationship. And so, you know, how does a company make sure that the candidate experience is a very positive one, certainly for the people they want to hire so that the person will accept the offer. But even beyond that, you know, I, I remember the head of recruiting years ago at Home Depot, he would say, you know, we want every candidate that takes a look at Home Depot, yeah, even if we don't hire them, you know, we want them to have had a good experience to where uh, even on the way home after they learn that they're not getting the job, they'll still pull into Home Depot and buy one of our hammers, right? So right. the whole candidate experience uh, angle is, is really hot these days in talent acquisition, although it's a challenge because, you you know, how do you give a good candidate experience to such a volume of people? Uh, especially yeah. when you don't meet or touch a lot of those people. So so those are a couple of the trends or challenges that we're seeing right now. Okay, so what can the – you're a maybe a medium or small-sized business or you're a corporate recruiter. I know that's a broad span there, but I think we have both folks listening to this. Uh what can they do? How about managing the volume? What's some of the advice that you give people? And then some advice around how do they get in front of these challenges? What are some actions you're seeing people take around managing the volume and making sure that the candidate experience is positive? Yeah. Well, I think the key is in your sourcing strategy that uh, you, you need. We no longer are just casting out a net uh, high and low and far and wide. You know, Now we're taking multiple nets and throwing them into very specific, you know, pinpointed area. You know, it's almost like fishing. If you go to a lake, you just go in the middle of the lake and just start casting, or do you go to certain places on the lake where there are certain weeds or, you know, there are trees that are overhanging or, you know, there are things that, that would attract the right kind of fish that you're after. Because, you know, in most lakes, there are all kinds of different types of fish. But you, you're probably not just looking to catch any old fish. You're probably looking to, to target, you know, a certain kind of fish uh, within that lake. And so the same thing here. It's, you know, so organizations, uh, 
based on the profile that they're looking to fill. You know, they want to uh, figure out what professional organizations to target, uh, you know, what job boards might be more specifically um, targeted at, at that profile. So instead of just slapping jobs out on, you know, big job boards like Monster or Career Builder, you know, what we're seeing is that uh, companies are getting much more targeted with some of the niche job boards. You know, if you're looking in, you know, for HR people, well, then go to SHRM and, and post your job on SHRM because that's where, you know, the HR talent will be looking for opening. Um, but the other key thing is just being proactive, you know, instead of just waiting until there's an opening and then saying, oh, gee, we're not going to go find people. You know, most companies kind of know going into a year a lot of the positions that they're going to be looking to fill. And so starting the pipeline early and reaching out to, to key people so that, uh, you know, when a position comes open, you're not starting from scratch. You, you already have a, uh, a short list of people that you want to reach back out to and, uh, and then maybe select the one that's perfect for this job. So, uh, so I think proactive uh, sourcing and, and recruiting is really important. And one of the ways they do that is maybe having a relationship with a recruiting firm that's ongoing, so you're having conversations. It's not, okay, now I need them uh, yesterday kind of thing maybe, right? And what would be some other ways to do that? Is it just, I mean, you can't put postings out if you don't actually have the opening. So just having the conversations, having the employee referral program in place, um, that kind of thing. Anything specific else specific around that? Well, the other thing that comes to mind is employment brand. You know, so having uh, the recognition in your market or in the workplace, in the in the uh, local market where where you're hiring, you know, be present in some of the key forums. You know, get your employees out to attend some of the networking meetings. You know, maybe every so often speak at some of these professional association meetings. Uh, maybe sponsor the meetings. And so, in other words, keep your your company brand top of mind. You know, most companies don't have a brand like Disney or Coke or Google. You know, most companies have a, a name and a brand that people just don't even know who they are. But if they got to know them, they would say, oh, wow, you know, very good company, good people right down the street, you know, but they just didn't know who they were. Um, and so for those companies, it takes a little extra, probably, uh, you know, boots on the ground, if you will, because they don't have the marketing budget or the the uh, consumer brand that a Coca-Cola has. Um, and so they have to sort of create the buzz and, and get out there, shake some hands, kiss some babies, you know, kind of like uh, the presidential candidates yeah. are doing right now. And, uh, yeah, yeah, kiss so those of, babies. Kind of create, uh, create a following uh, and create the connections, uh, you know, because a, a lot of candidates go to Coke and they go to Disney to apply for jobs. You know, they don't have to as much, uh, uh, you know, do advertising for, for employment. Um Whereas most companies do. Most companies have to uh, get the word out and say, hey, come take a look at us. Um, yeah. so I think, uh, you know, kind of boots on the ground is the main the main idea there. Right. And oh, with the sourcing strategy, when you're talking about pinpointing where they target, I've made me think about, you know, I get involved in selection. Uh, the part I do is around, you know, the assessment piece. But what I also will often find is, uh, people aren't really as clear about the role as they think they are once you start asking them questions. So I know that that's what you all do. You must get in the middle of that piece and to help them pinpoint, help them get really clear about what's most important for success in the job. And it's not just the job description, but it's, you know, what are the behaviors we want? What are the drivers we want? What are the competencies we want? Um, and I think that, um, 
to help people pinpoint, the clearer they are uh, about the competencies for the job, the much better it goes, too. Do you agree? I totally agree. And, you know, it kind of gets back to the volume issue that I mentioned earlier is, uh, you know, as executive search uh, consultants, you know, we're really getting paid less and less to help our client find candidates. I mean, they can find candidates on their own, but we're getting paid more and more to help them, you know, assess them and, and really decide which one is the ultimate one. Because in most cases, they're just going to hire one person. And even if they narrow it down to 10 or five or even two candidates, you know, they all look good because they've all been coached on how to do a good resume, how to dress, how to, how look to interview, good. how to look yep. good. So, so you know, you can't just hire the one that looks the best. You have to hire the one that's going to be the best. And, and that, uh, right. that discernment, uh, you know, takes experience. And so uh, yeah. in a lot of cases, our, our clients are hiring us to help them really decide who is the best one, not just help them find a bunch of potential candidates. Right, and that's really how it's shifted too. I would think now, since it's easier to find people, it's now how do I figure right. out who's the right one, <laughs> right. and really having a having a clear picture of what the person must do to be successful, and it's not the job description; it's something deeper than that. I think is so key, and um, right. such a key part of it. So, for the uh, talent acquisition, the key points are pinpointing where you cast your net. When you are targeted, targeted focus on the search, uh, being proactive um, and keep in the sourcing so you keep a pipeline early or going on early, even when you're not specifically ready, and then employee brand, which I think is great. And you've done a great job with your business. I mean, every er, in my mind, everybody in Georgia, maybe they know it other places too. I'm sure they do, but they know who Talent Connections is, and that's a big result of you doing exactly what you just suggested, you know, being present at SHRM and having Tila now president of SHRM and all those interactions build the brand. Big company, small company, make a difference. So anything else about, we're going to move into employee retention, but anything else about talent acquisition that we haven't covered that you'd like to leave us with, actions or thoughts? Well, I think the final thing is that, uh, you know, talent acquisition is as important as anything a company does, right? I mean, it all starts with the talent you have. I mean, Microsoft isn't Microsoft because of their their products. It's because of the people that created the products, right? And uh, just as an example, and so, uh, you know, I think companies don't spend enough time or money in the talent acquisition area, you know, you, you see hiring either as a cost or as an investment. Unfortunately, most companies see it as a cost. And, and what do you do with the cost? Well, you reduce it, you squeeze it, you eliminate it. Uh, compare that to an investment. What do you do with an investment? Well, you reinvest in it, you manage it, you optimize it. And really, at the end of the day, talent acquisition is probably the most important investment a company has. And so I think the first thing a company needs to do is to see it as an investment, not a cost, and then to reinvest in it and uh, and really make it uh, uh, a process and a strategy within the company that uh, helps turn your employees uh, into your competitive advantage. Uh, that really is the lifeblood of the future of the company. Yep. Well said. It's you know, Every leader, a business owner, if you have your own dashboard, I always recommend a dashboard, where it's the top three to five things that you must focus on for success. And so if you're the run in the company or you're a leader, one of those things on your dashboard has to be selection. 
has to be. And that's the investment you're talking about. It has to, you know, you can't. It can't be something that's like the tenth thing you think about. If you're running a business, it needs to be right up there, your top three to five, along with you know what's your budget, <laughs> you know how's your sales team doing. It needs to be right up there. Uh, and right. if it's not, um, everything else you're trying to do is harder because it, it's an afterthought. So right there with you on that. I see it all the time, and I know you do too, where it becomes an afterthought, what the impact is. Um, so that's interesting. So let's talk about top trends in employee retention. So what are you seeing in employee retention, uh, turnover, what's happening in the market based on what you're hearing and seeing, you know, what should business owners and leaders be worried about, and uh, if you have ideas for specific actions that they should begin taking right now. What, what should Absolutely. they do to stay well, in front of these trends? Sure, sure. Well, you mentioned the words of retention and turnover. You know, there's another word that goes with all that, and, and it's a hot word these days called engagement. And, yep. uh, you know, really, in fact, re-engagement because, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have employees who are engaged. You know, if they're not engaged, well, then you need to get them re-engaged or get them off the bus and, and let them go find their wings somewhere else and get some new people in who are, who are engaged. And, uh, you know, the challenge we have is that, you know, for the last seven or so years because of the economy, there has not been a lot of movement in, in jobs and people leaving. So, so right now it's, it's turning into a little bit of a Chinese fire drill where there's a lot of pent up, uh, a desire for people to change jobs, either because they're not completely happy where they are and they think it's greener on the other side, <laughs> whether it is or isn't, you know, uh, to be determined, but uh, but they think it might be greener on the other side, and uh, and you know, so we're seeing people uh, get out there and, and kind of uh, kick the tires and see what jobs might be open, and lo and behold, there are are some jobs opening up. So so I think the key for for companies is to really understand you know where where their employees are, and and really not employees as a as a whole or as a lot, but really one by one by one, especially with the the high-performing, you know, the, the people, uh, um, you know, that you you just need to stay with the company long-term. Well, you need to sit down with those people, not just send them an employee survey, uh, you know, once a year, but you really need to sit down with them and, and listen to them and, and talk about what they're thinking and what they like and what they don't like. And, and not that a company can just shift everything to customize uh, every little aspect of somebody's job to keep them happy. Well, no, they can't do that. But there are very possibly things that they could shift or, or tweak uh, that would make all the difference and would get the person re-engaged. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing in all this is just communication, you know, making sure the employees uh, know what the vision is of the company and the mission and, you know, make sure they understand how their role is critical for the vision and mission of the company. Uh, and then really looking at, uh, uh, you know, giving feedback, positive feedback, encouraging feedback, and uh, thanking the people for, for their service. You know, oftentimes upper management thinks that they're they're giving people uh, boys and girls by giving them a paycheck. You know, well, that's not good enough. You know, you need to walk up to people every day and say, gee, thank you for what you're doing and how are you today? And, and you know, kind of get off the uh, get off the smartphones and, and start looking up instead of looking down. And uh, really eye-to-eye looking at people and smiling at people and... and uh, you know, making sure that they're they're engaged. So I think engagement is a is a huge uh, challenge right now. Yeah, I like the way that you said re-engagement too, because that puts a whole new idea. People have been kind of pushed and then loaded up on a bit 
Right. And uh, so re-engagement is okay. Let's re-energize these efforts, and it's it's uh, something that you constantly have to keep reinvesting in. I believe too, new ideas, and they're basically the same framework, but new energy maybe back into that in, in case leaders have gotten a little uh, uh, less focused on that to get back focused on it. Yeah, exactly. And. You know, when you look at turnover, everybody thinks turnover is a bad word. Well, it's not necessarily a bad word. I mean, there are organizations, I think of, uh, again, my first employer, uh, Pricewaterhouse, uh, I mean, turnover was expected. Turnover was anticipated. Uh, you know, it was a pyramid model, and you either kind of moved up or moved out. And uh, and so, uh, you know, to think of people leaving an organization, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, now if your best people are leaving, well, yeah, you have a problem, but... Uh, but to really take a critical look every year of uh, how people are performing and and taking some of the folks that are you know toward the bottom of the performance uh, pyramid and either saying okay well we need to re-engage them and retrain them or you know maybe we just let them go uh, again find their wing somewhere else and and get some new folks in and uh, so I think uh, you know just really taking a critical look at the talent and the engagement and uh, making some tough decisions. Uh, with people, uh, you know, is, is really uh, critical to a company uh, being successful. And do you think that, based on the global view of all the companies you're in and out of, and what you hear at the different Sherm uh, national meetings, are companies getting the message about reengagement and that their employees are kicking the tires? And there's, you know, we've heard it for years that there's going to be a war for talent, and so I think people kind of got numb to it in some respects. Are they seeing that maybe that is actually starting to happen, or you think that uh, what, what's kind of the sense you get on the awareness of this and that people are taking action or not taking action? Yeah. Well, like many things, it, it uh, you know comes and goes. I mean, there's some companies that are on it and they're they're doing well and they're realizing that they need to re-engage folks. Uh, and then there are a lot of companies that are hoping that it's not them, right? It, that uh, this problem is someone else's problem. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we're going to keep our key people. And, and then all of a sudden one day they wake up and, uh, you know, within a period of time, some key people leave and, and all of a sudden they're, they're reeling from that. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's one of those things, uh, you know, like uh, with your car, you can either, uh, take care of your car and it'll probably stay in good working order or you can uh, neglect it. You're going to break down the side of the road at some point. So you'll, you'll save some money up front, but you're going to, uh, you know, pay, pay the uh, repairman later. And uh, so I think that's the key with uh, people, right? Is that you, you have to invest in them and reinvest in them all the time or, uh, or that investment is going to break down the side of the road. And what do you think? How do people figure out if they're doing enough? Is it just they always are looking back and seeing the performance and seeing the, you know, are they having the right turnover? Is that how they know whether they're doing or not doing enough or not knowing if they're doing enough? Yeah, you know, obviously metrics you have to track it, uh, see see what the trends are. But honestly, I I think uh, you never want to be in a position where you feel like you're doing enough. You know, I think you you always want to feel like you need to do more. You know, I think of a company like Chick-fil-A uh, here in Atlanta, and uh, I mean, they're just an amazing, you know, culture and 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 the place to work. And uh, you know, it's because that they 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 realize that that's core to their customer service. You know, how can they how can they give exceptional customer service if their employees that they hire aren't exceptional, and if those employees aren't engaged and happy and in the right mindset? So so Chick-fil-A does an amazing job when they're hiring people. 
and that really uh, is is one of the secrets of their success. It's not just their tasty chicken sandwich. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, you, you can think get, about you, going into a Chick-fil-A, hopefully whoever's listening, y'all are listening, you, you know what Chick-fil-A is. It's started here in Georgia, but it's all over the country. But you go into Chick-fil-A, think what comes to mind, and then you think of, and not to slam McDonald's, but you go into McDonald's, think what comes to mind. It's a whole different sense of the kind of service and the kind of place you're going to walk into, right? That's right. That's, that's their right. people, and, uh, their focus. So that's just that's perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, it, it really depends on what the company wants to stand for, and and are they willing to really do what it takes to get there? And and most companies sort of aren't. They they want to kind of get by. They want to hope that uh, they've invested enough. But I think you know the companies and the CEOs that stay up late at night worrying about how do we attract and retain the best talent. You know, those are the ones that are constantly asking the question: Are we doing enough? And, uh, and oftentimes the answer is no. There is more we can do. Well, then let's go do it. And uh, so, yeah, Chick-fil-A is a great uh, case study. If anyone wants to study a great uh, culture and, and leadership uh, development uh, in a company, Chick-fil-A is a great company to study. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I like what you said about the one-to-one because research says over and over again, when people are engaged, it's the Gallup's, Gallup information that I reference all the time, but it's just so powerful because it's like, have I received feedback from my manager or supervisor in the last seven days? Does somebody at work care about my performance or my future or my development? It's, you know, all of that one-to-one. Has somebody checked in with me? Have I, you know, do I matter, <laughs> basically? And that's a one-to-one thing, and that comes from hiring people who are good at and interested and committed to that. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's not all that complicated, but it certainly isn't easy. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts about employee retention? Well, I don't know. Ideas. I think we covered uh, some good ground there, but uh, you know, the, maybe the last thing is that you know, one size doesn't fit all. Uh, you know, the yeah. strategies for retention or engagement or reengagement, the strategies are you know that that would be effective and one size organization or one culture, uh, you know, might be very different than another. And so, uh, you know, it's not an off-the-shelf uh, package that you can buy and plug in and it's going to work for you, you know. But that's where, you know, consultants uh, come in and and uh, best practices and books and seminars and webinars uh, come in to try to learn what's what are some ideas out there and then, you know, what ideas uh, might resonate with the people that we have right now and the culture that we have right now and, you know, and culture is one of those things that, again, uh, most every company can describe what their previous culture has been, and they can probably articulate uh, some, something around their current culture. But very few companies have really mapped out what culture they're trying to evolve to. And what's interesting is uh, back to our discussion about hiring. You know, when you're hiring people, you're really hiring people for tomorrow's tomorrow's culture. Well, how do you hire people? for tomorrow's culture when you haven't really mapped out what you want it to be. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's and then awesome you have a, point. Well, then you have a hiring manager who is from yesterday's culture. So you have a hiring manager who's interviewing the candidate with yesterday's culture's lens, but they're trying to assess the person for tomorrow's culture's fit. And, and therein lies one of the insanities of hiring. And uh, uh. so, again, the companies that do it the best, have really, you know, mapped out what what they want tomorrow's culture to look like, and therefore, what are the 
skills and competencies and, and attitudes that, that we really need in people for tomorrow's culture. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, we're going to head to a close today. Thank you for all the information that you shared. I want to close with some questions about uh, kind of reflection questions. And the the next one is, what advice would you give your 30-year-old self? Well, probably a lot. Um, you know, I think uh, one is to, uh, uh, or maybe the main one is to, uh, you know, really focus on the long term not just the short term. You know, we all get caught up in our daily busyness and our current job and our to-dos. And, and you know, I heard a survey uh, that was done that uh, they interviewed people who were over 100 years old, and they said, wow, if you had 100 years to do over again, what would you do different? And there were three themes that came out of it. One was that they would spend more time with their family and friends, which makes sense. The other is that they would take more risks, which was interesting. And the third thing really resonated with me, and that is that they would do more in this lifetime that will span beyond their lifetime. And that's called legacy, right? So I think the advice I would give my 30-year-old self or any uh, 30-year-old is, is what are you doing from a legacy standpoint? You know, we're all, we're all out there building our resume, but what are we doing to not just build a resume, but build a legacy? Uh, I think that's uh, really a challenge, uh, you know, for, uh, for all of us to really be intentional about what what is our legacy going to be. Mm, boy, asking that question immediately, my mind went to, okay, what am I doing? <laughs> well, think about that, okay? Yeah. Oh, is that enough? Oh, yeah. You immediately. That's a that's a good thought provoking thought or question. What are you doing to build your legacy and not just your resume? And don't you have a talk on that? I do. I actually get to talk uh, twice a year to the MBA students at Notre Dame and. They're all right about 30 years old, and and they uh, oh how perfect went, yeah yeah and they uh, obviously have been building a great resume but uh, which is fine I'm not saying don't do that but but in the course of doing that you know what what are you doing to build your legacy so uh, yeah I like uh, I like talking on that topic to, you know if you if you're clear on that are you thinking about that in your mind on a regular basis and in your heart it certainly does change the flavor of every day. So everything starts to have more meaning, you know. They're thinking about who have I touched, who have I helped, who can I make a difference, how can I... Yeah, it's a totally different mindset. That's awesome. And our last question is, we have an opportunity to uh, create a billboard, and it's Tom Darrow's billboard. If you had that... And you could put it anywhere. What would it? What would? Where would it be? And what would it say? Oh, that's quite a question. Um, well, I guess it would probably be at a major, uh, you know, intersection of highways, right? So as many people could see it as possible. And I guess right. uh, probably from a personal standpoint, I I probably have a billboard say uh, Jesus is the answer. You know, I think we're all grappling with a lot of questions these days about where is the world going and seems to be getting worse every day and there's just a lot of a lot of challenges and uh um you know i i heard someone speak a couple of years ago and they asked her about what she thought was happening in the world and she said you know she said uh, hurting people hurt people heal people heal people she said we need to heal people and i thought wow you know that is really it you know we're all you know to some degree hurting uh personally or professionally or 
you know, the world is hurting, and, and uh, so, you know, we need to heal people. And uh, when we heal people, then they can heal other people. And, and so to me, uh, from a faith perspective, uh, the great healer is, is Jesus Christ. And uh, I think, uh, you know, when we ask questions about why this, why that, uh, you know, we don't have all the answers, but, but he does. And, uh, and so uh, that would be my billboard. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Well, Tom, this has been so helpful, and I appreciate everything that you've shared. If people wanted to reach out to you, I'm going to put your contact information and and kind of do a quick review. If they wanted to reach out for you, they could reach out to you for speaking. They could reach out to you for kind of give a list of areas that your organization and things you do could help people with so, so that it's clear. Oh, yeah. Well, we love helping people, so... Uh... You know, certainly uh, any speaking uh, needs, uh, happy to speak. I speak a lot on a lot of different topics related to uh, uh, recruiting and HR and, and career management and, and even some other topics like uh, servant leadership or, uh, you know, like the one we just mentioned, uh, how to build a legacy, not just resume. Um, but, but also, you know, anyone who is either unemployed or what we would call misemployed. So misemployed is you have a job, but you're just not where you want to be. And uh, so certainly anybody who is uh, trying to optimize their career and really be intentional about their career management, uh, certainly uh, I'd love to help them. Awesome. And then if someone has openings, they could also contact you in regard to if it's an organization. Is that correct? With the executive search, right? Yeah, on the talent connection side, we... We do primarily executive search. Uh, HR is our main niche, but we do other executive-level searches for companies, helping them find uh, key talent. So uh, we're very grateful to uh, partner with some great uh, organizations and uh, help them fill key leadership roles. Okay, great. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Susie. So what was your favorite part of the interview? I think some of my key takeaways are there were many great points, but just paying attention to the employee selection talent acquisition trend about volume, you know, there's so many candidates and trying to find the balance between, okay, I've got so many candidates, I'm going to use technology, um, but then when you do that, it might depersonalize the whole process so much that the candidates don't get a good impression of your company. So it's trying to figure out that balance between sourcing and creating a good candidate experience. He gave some tips around that. And because of the volume, he talked about how important it is to be very clear about who you're looking for. I get involved in this a bit uh, as well with my selection assessments that I do for companies. And oftentimes what I'll find is is the organization isn't a very clear about what they're looking for. They've got a job description, but they don't have very clear on what the competencies are, what the drivers need to be, what the style needs to be. And so that's something I get involved with. But it's really important with this volume thing, so many, to get really clear about what you're looking for before you send the information out so that you it will streamline the process, just the clarity in advance. Um, he also did a good reminder, and I know this doesn't happen very often, too, because people are so busy, but to get a pipeline of potential candidates before you need to fill a position. So having a process in place, having having uh, activity beforehand so that you're not scrambling 
And one way that he talked about is getting boots on the ground, getting people, getting your brand top of mind so people are active and interested in your business and being visible. And he's been a great example of that in his business and his employees do the same thing. They're very active in the community. So when you think about um, um, recruiting, you think about his business here in the Southeast. So I, uh, he also talked about how important talent acquisition is. And it's probably the most important thing a company does. And I wanted to reference a video that I did. It's short. I recorded it while I was in my car. And I've got a link in the show notes. It's called The Superior Performance Secret. And I talk about creating a dashboard and what should be on your dashboard. That's why I was in the car. Um, But anyway, if you want to see that, go to the show notes. And along with all the great information that Tom shared, you can look for the link that says The Superior Performance Secret. And it's the show notes are pricelessprofessional.com slash Tom Darrow, T-O-M-D-A-R-R-O-W. And that's all lowercase and all one word. So I mentioned earlier before the interview got started that I had a new app. I'm all excited about that. You can download that app. It's free. WakeUpEagerWorkforce.com or go to those show notes and you'll see a little orange image and it'll click you, take you straight to the app store. You can download it. And you'll be able to uh, listen to shows while you're walking the dog or stuck in the car. So um, get the app. It's free. And I just want to thank you for listening today. Thank you for being a part of the Wake Up Eager Workforce audience. And thank you for your participation. Um, it's fun to create these. It's fun to have these interactions with these experts. And it's fun to share and, and um give information that I hope is helpful to you. If you have any questions for me, you can reach out at Susie at pricelessprofessional.com, Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. Now, I'm excited about our next show because I'm going to be sharing information about exactly what you can do when an employee is not performing on the job. What do you do? Do you have in your mind a mind map or do you just wing it every single time? Uh, It's going to be interesting because I'm going to interview several leaders about I've asked them in advance to think about real-world situations, something, a specific situation, what the person was doing, the employee, and what actions they took, and and what happened, what worked, what didn't work, what will they do different next time, what do they do now, what advice do they have to give. So I think it'll be interesting. It's kind of like a, a learning lab of leadership, and it's around this idea of when somebody's not performing well, what do you do, and what works, and what doesn't work. And I'm also going to give a process that I tend, I teach in my leadership development classes. It's uh, not the be-all, end-all answer, but it's powerful because it always gives you a mind map of how to think through what your process should be. So I'm looking forward to that next episode, and I'm hoping that you and I will connect there again. And thank you for listening today, and all the best. We'll see you on the next round. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources.